Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include the loss of an icon, converting offices to residential space, my interview with Richie Mays, Nathan Lee on fixed versus variable costs, and further reaction to inflation coming down. Thanks to today's podcast sponsor, Richie May. Richie May is a recognized leader in providing specialized advisory, audit, tax, technology, and other services to the mortgage industry for almost four decades. Among many awards, Richie May has been named a top 100 firm twice and is known in the market for their education and contributions to the mortgage industry. They don't just hire from the mortgage industry, they have the experts who build it. To experience how Richie May can help you transform your mortgage business, visit Richie May. The residential lending industry, and particularly the independent mortgage banking segment of it, suffered a loss Sunday morning with the death of Angelo Mozillo, founder of Countrywide. My dad was fortunate enough to have spent some time with him in person, talking about the early days. Up until that time, lending was concentrated in depository institutions, and through hustle and grit, Angelo built his company and the industry around it. It was a fascinating story, to say the least. Say what you will about him and the role of Countrywide in the financial crisis, but he created a segment of the industry that helped hundreds of thousands of people earn a living, often handsomely, and support their families. During the last several years, he focused on spending time with his family and donating to worthwhile causes such as the Mozilla Family Foundation and the Italian American Museum of Los Angeles. He will be missed. Before van life, people would occasionally sleep in their offices. But what about making the office into a place to sleep? There's an anomaly facing major cities in the U.S. Many office buildings are empty while housing is in short supply. There's been a lot of talk of simply converting large offices into more apartments, but it's much more difficult than it seems. Conversions are possible, but real estate developers face a variety of physical, regulatory, and financial constraints. Zoning restrictions and regulations restrict alterations and limit the scope for office to residential conversions. Structural complexity and code requirements mean that not all buildings are conducive for repurposing, such as ceiling height, access to lighting, plumbing considerations, etc. And many structures have to be reinforced with more steel. Repurposing is often an expensive process that comes on top of the initial acquisition costs and ultimately will not save or make any money. High costs require high rents to offset, meaning that most office conversions tend to cater to the luxury segment of the market and won't help to alleviate a shortage of affordable housing in the city. Finally, as the status of remote work remains in flux, there's a big question mark over the desirability of these conversion projects in the first place. But did you know that the total number of vacant houses in the United States is currently far below its historic average? Of the 145 million or so housing units in the country, only about 15.1 million, or 10.4% of total housing stock, are vacant, which if it were proportionate to what the average has been this millennium, which is 12.7% of total housing stock, it would mean that there would be about 3.3 million more vacant homes than we currently see. Of the 15 million units that are vacant, the Census Bureau number crunchers estimate that only about 3.6 million fall into the other category where speculators reside. 
It doesn't appear at the national level that speculators holding homes off the market, waiting for a better selling point, are the cause of the housing crisis. If someone buys a home and wishes to take the risk of holding it off the market until they decide it's the right time to sell, that's their right, as it is their house, not society's. For today's interview, I want to welcome back to the show Richie Mays Nathan Lee to talk about converting fixed costs into variable costs and how companies are staying profitable in this environment. He served in a variety of capacities during his tenure at Richie May, including leading the firm's overall growth strategy, as well as the firm's national mortgage banking practice. He's currently the partner in charge of Richie May Advisory LLC, the firm's advisory and technology consulting practice, where he's responsible for strategy, growth, and leadership. So today is all about outsourcing, and I, I know it's a, a point you've harped on in the past when, when I've talked to you, is that being able to convert fixed costs into variable costs can really make the difference for companies remaining profitable versus not. And I want to start by asking you, when mortgage companies think about outsourcing, what's the right way to approach deciding what's best to outsource? You know, I think there are some important factors to take into consideration. You know, one of them that uh, really is important when deciding whether to outsource a, a function or not is the criticality to the business, how much control as, as a business owner or operator you want to have over that function. And, and it varies a little bit from one CEO or owner to another. You know, some will prefer to have more control over some of the functions that they view as being more critical to the company's operations, and some will be a little bit more willing to outsource. So there's so it is dependent also upon just some of the some of the preferences of the CEOs and owners of operators of the business. But but generally speaking, if it, if it's a function that isn't isn't deemed to be critical um, in nature and and where you don't need to have immediate response times, maybe you can you can have some some things done on an asynchronous basis between you and a, and a contractor or outsource provider. Uh, those tend to be things that are a little bit easier to outsource. The other thing I think that's really important to consider too is just if you have a function in-house that isn't really fully keeping somebody or a couple people busy, then that that is a prime candidate for outsourcing. And there are a number of those across mortgage companies when you really peel back the layers and look you can see some of these roles like a chief information security officer might not be a full-time role or, you know, internal audit function can probably be done on a non-full-time basis. And so those just make a lot more sense to contract for outsource to a third party uh, because they just, you're not going to fully keep somebody busy. If you can go out on a fractional basis, and contract for or outsource to a third party services that are being performed by highly compensated individuals that aren't going to be fully busy doing the work that needs to be done in that role. Those are those are prime candidates for outsourcing. And and then in some other areas, right? The the business, of course, the mortgages are very cyclical, and uh, and so companies look at things like you know processing and underwriting. And, and other back office functions 
that may be a little bit more um, that that allow them to then variableize those expenses um, and have them track a little bit more closely to uh, revenue and volume. So you started that answer by talking about control, and I I kind of want to expand on that and say, what are other common points of reluctance or even potential pitfalls that should be addressed when considering outsourcing? One of the things that causes you know some reluctance for any company, including mortgage companies, is just the the people, and there, there's always a reluctance. Um, you know, when it comes to, you know, outsourcing a role that is currently being performed internally. And that is, that is of course, perfectly understandable. Um, and so, you know, what companies will often do is not replace people when they leave and, and outsource those functions as people vacate positions. Another one that, that you hear fairly commonly is that they are concerned about outsourcing functions when the time difference than the company it is than the company is in particularly places around the other side of the globe um and so there will be some concern uh when it comes to that there'll be some concern when it comes to language barriers that there's going to be other offshoring um and so those are some of the common things that you hear and and then, of course, as you mentioned, that lack of control, that that's an area that every business owner and operator always have to deal with and just and uh, just make decisions based on their comfort level there. Well, very, very quickly on that, are are those concerns valid in terms of the you know, language barriers or are we at a, a place now where uh, that's that's not something that that is an issue anymore? I think it's still an issue um, when it comes to the language barrier. It certainly can be. Uh, you know, most companies, at least within the mortgage industry, will not outsource roles where they're going to be customer facing. But the leaders of the company still need to interact with, interface with those that are providing those services. And if the language barrier is significant, it can just present challenges when it comes to just efficiently being able to get that work done. The other thing when it that's that's related to this offshoring concept in in places uh, around the globe, for example, another thing that just that companies have to take into consideration is just is the uh, the communications, the technology that exists between the two, making sure that that there is connection from a communication standpoint to, to networks and other systems and, uh, and making sure that the technology infrastructure is going to support the work that's being done. And so um, th- those are definitely valid concerns, And uh, but I think there are ways for companies to address them uh, in making sure that, that those individuals that are being leveraged offshore um, are being leveraged in the right, in the right roles and uh, that the language barrier can be minimized and doesn't have a significant impact across the organization, and particularly with with borrowers and and so forth. I had mentioned earlier about variable costs and and fixed costs and converting as many of those fixed costs into variable costs as possible. And it's crucial in this low-volume environment that we're currently in. In your opinion, what costs should be fixed and what costs should be variable? And combining two questions here, 
how can fixed costs be converted into variable costs? There, there's probably no one answer here, but I think there are some guidelines that would be fairly important. I touched on a couple of these earlier, but um, any of the any, anytime you have an individual or individuals in a in a functional area within the company and they're not they're not fully busy, uh, that that's a good candidate for outsourcing. I think. The, the other thing that creates a little bit of risk or exposure and will lead some companies to outsource is when you have key man or key woman risk. If, if you have a function, sort of an important function at the company, where only one person is really performing that function and you don't have a lot of other individuals that are cross-trained and so on, um, that, that'll be a function that oftentimes people will want to replace because, or they'll want to outsource because the, the, the risks and the challenges associated with having to replace that person if that person leaves can be pretty significant. It can be highly disruptive to the business. And so companies will try to mitigate that by outsourcing to a provider that has a a strong bench of people and so that they don't have to deal with that uh, issue anymore. They don't have to deal with replacing somebody when they leave that was a, that was a critical uh, person and where they have key man or key woman risk. They don't have to train the replacement, get them up to speed, deal with that disruption. Instead, they can outsource it and have that seamlessly provided by the by the outsource vendor and the vendor then becomes responsible for making sure that they are properly staffed, have the backups um, in place that need to be in place and so on. So it's a way for a company to just offload that risk. But when it comes to specific areas in working with clients that, that I've seen that are, that are commonly outsourced would be things like internal audit, um, cybersecurity, you see a lot of uh, legal uh, will often be outsourced. It's, it's difficult for a lot of companies uh, until, until a certain size to keep a, a licensing and compliance team fully busy. Um, cybersecurity, I mentioned that briefly earlier, is one that, that's commonly outsourced. And you're, you're also seeing a lot more outsourced accounting services these days. And it's for a little bit of a different reason. Accounting professionals are in short supply uh, across the country in all industries. There are just not enough accounting professionals graduating um, and going into accounting. And so companies are having a hard time finding and keeping good qualified accounting talent. And it's particularly pronounced within the mortgage industry where it is rather nuanced and complex from an accounting standpoint. And finding individuals that have an understanding of the industry is always a preference of the owners and operators of mortgage companies. And so you see them in larger numbers um, looking to outsource the accounting because it they can find providers that provide the outsourced accounting highly specialized within the mortgage industry. And again, they don't have to deal with trying to train those people than having them leave and train them again. So it's a way for them to, to have that provided on a seamless basis uh, without disruption. 
Um, and, and you're even starting to see another area that I think is, is fairly common and gaining in, in popularity, and that would be um, HR functions, and uh, particularly payroll. Uh, payroll will often be outsourced, and, and companies are even outsourcing more and more of their HR functions. And I think what's driving some of those things is that company owners and operators are saying, we want to do the things that are um, critical to our business that make us unique and different. Uh, but if they are not unique, different elements of our value proposition and what we are doing to drive revenue and drive the business and their support functions, we can we're comfortable outsourcing a lot of those. And so, again, going back to my comments in the beginning, they'll, they'll maintain some of the more critical functions in-house, but other back office support functions, they are becoming more and more comfortable outsourcing those as time goes on. We, you know, we've talked about a lot of different things today, and it, it's been great information. What's one thing that people can do today to plan for or enact some of the things we discussed in this interview? I think a good place to start is having conversations with um, your current vendors and service providers. A lot of them uh, are providing services or functions that are probably considered outsourcing uh, to one extent or another. And some of those providers can outsource other things as well. And so a conversation with some of them is to explore some of the other areas that might make sense to outsource, uh, I think could be a good place to start. One where you, you might just be able to identify a couple areas that maybe you haven't considered yet where you could get a high level of comfort and confidence from a provider that is doing the doing that very thing day in and day out uh, and doing it very, very well. And there may be some opportunities there to identify a few other areas where you might outsource that maybe you hadn't thought about before. Nathan, thank you very much, man. I really appreciate this. I think the listeners will find great value in this and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Great. Thanks, Robbie. Where to start with last week? A B quarterly earnings reports on Friday from three of the largest U.S. banks capped a week in which almost everything rallied in markets. J.P. Morgan, Chase, Citigroup, and Wells Fargo all reported above consensus results to kick off the Q2 earnings season. However, the main economic headline over the last week was the continued deceleration in inflation, as core CPI was below 5% for the first time since November 2021. Consumer prices rose 0.2% in June and core CPI increased 4.8% from one year ago as durable and non-durable goods saw price declines. U.S. inflation is down from its peak of 8.9%, and suddenly disinflation is the buzzword on trading desks. While the lower inflation numbers were welcomed by the markets, the Fed is still expected to increase the federal funds target following its next meeting on July 26. The committee is likely to feel validated that tighter monetary policy is slowing inflation, while economic growth has not turned negative. Housing costs may continue to be a headwind in the Fed's fight to get back to 2% inflation, as higher interest rates have not only reduced demand as intended, but have also severely limited supply, which has buoyed home prices. 
For those thinking that the Fed is done hiking rates, Fed Governor Waller said on Friday that he expects two more rate hikes this year. This week kicks off with a limited calendar that consists of just New York Fed manufacturing for July. Data and supply pick up over the remainder of the week and include June retail sales, June industrial production and capacity utilization, May business inventories, and July home builder sentiment tomorrow, June housing starts and permits on Wednesday, and July Philly Fed manufacturing, June existing home sales, June leading indicators, and $17 billion in new 10-year tips on Thursday. After the 10-year U.S. Treasury dropped 23 basis points over the course of last week to close at 3.82%, in the early going to start the week, agency MBS prices are better about an eighth versus Friday, and the 10 years yielding 3.78%. The two years, 4.72%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. There I was, sitting at the bar, staring at my drink when a large troublemaking biker stepped up next to me, grabbed my drink, and gulped it down in one swig. Well, what you gonna do about it? He said menacingly as I burst into tears. This is the worst day of my life. I'm a complete failure. I was late to a meeting and my boss fired me. I went to the parking lot and I found my car had been stolen and I don't have any insurance. I left my wallet in the cab I took home. Then when I got home, I found my wife with another man and then my dog bit me. So I came to this bar to work up the courage to put an end to it all. I buy a drink, I drop a capsule in and sit here watching the poison dissolve and then you show up and drink the whole thing. But enough about me. How's your day going? <laughs> Thanks again to Richie May, a recognized leader in providing specialized advisory, audit, tax, technology, and other services to the mortgage industry for almost four decades. To experience how Richie May can help you transform your mortgage business, visit richiemay.com. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.